I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hawkeye Nation podcast, HawkeyeNation.com. Andrew Downs and Rob Howe with you once again. Rob, how are you doing, man? Feeling better. <laughs> Starting to feel a little bit better after last week's appendectomy and then the uh, hurricane that came through here on top of that. And uh, But none of us are, are doing as well as George Kittle, Andrew. <laughs> You're right about that. Holy cow. Man. What, five years, $75 million is the, the reports of the, the contract he signed today with the 49ers? Uh, good money if you can get it. 40 million guaranteed. 40 million guaranteed. That's fantastic. That's great. Because in the NFL, you just never know about some of those contracts. Uh, so to get that guaranteed money is huge and uh, just awesome for him. He, he's earned it, obviously. Uh, and it's just been so cool to kind of see him sprout, uh, you know, his, his personality come out and, and be shown and be featured. And uh, obviously, his on field play. Uh, it's it's been really really fun to watch him kind of grow into the the player he's become. Two star wide receiver out of uh, Norman, Oklahoma, because former Hawkeye Bruce Kittle was on the Oklahoma staff for Bob Stoops then, so he played high school in Norman, Oklahoma. Was a two star, had offers from Colorado State and Air Force before Iowa offered him the on signing day. Holy cow! Um, <laughs> his senior year. And he came here, and then, uh, as they say, the rest is history. He's kind of a neat story, too, just because of the, you know, cousin of Henry Krieger Koble and Jess Settles, and, you know, just kind of, uh, he, he married uh, former uh, Iowa women's basketball player Claire Till, whose mom, Shelly Till, we, we see on the Big Ten Network and doing, you know, broadcasts, uh, Riley Till, uh, her son and, and Claire's brother played basketball at Iowa. Just a lot of connections to the state of Iowa. And and I think George, when George was in Iowa, I think he was in the Iowa City West School District before uh, Bruce ended up getting the job uh, down with Oklahoma. So, yeah, it's it's really cool to see. And a guy who's kind of, as obviously, as a two-star recruit, has worked his butt off to become the best tight end in the NFL and now the highest paid tight end in the NFL. Is he the best NFL tight end to come out of Iowa now? Are, are, are we ready to put him above Dallas Clark? Yeah, I was looking at some stats. I mean, I think he still has, you know, room to make up to get to what Dallas accomplished over a career. Yeah. But I think it was... I can't remember who tweeted it this morning, but just from a, st- a statistical standpoint, George is like... 
ahead of any tight end in the history of the game, just in terms of what he's done in a short amount of time. I'll see if I can find this here. Uh, maybe it was Field Yates that tweeted this. Um, see if I can find it. Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah, it was Field Yates. George Kittle has more receiving yards than any tight end in NFL history through three seasons. He's got 2,945. The most catches by a tight end through three seasons, 219. The most receiving yards in a single season by a tight end ever, 1,377. And is the best – this is more uh, subjective, but it would be hard to argue with this – is the best blocking tight end in football. So, yeah, I mean, you know, you talk about – and Iowa's, you know – uh, rich history with NFL players, man. Kittle is like moving up that list fast. Yeah, he is. And then uh, again, the personality of it just just adds to it because uh, you know the, the him being mic'd up that that goes viral every time it happens. Uh, there was that one where he had that pancake block and he's just laughing uh, during it and it's fantastic. <laughs> Obviously, within the Iowa program last year, he was featured in that kind of big hype video. Um, and and so the the personality of it, obviously, and he's big into the WWE and that they've been featuring him in some things. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, he's got like a connection with The Rock. Yeah, you know, well, you know those guys tweeting back and forth it's together. Incredible. He's like a national entity right he is. now. Uh, George so Kittle. Cool. He's uh, and that does nothing but help the Iowa football program. I mean that 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 deal he got today certainly does not hurt on the recruiting trail. No, absolutely not. Yeah, Laporte is looking at that like, okay, okay, that's <laughs> where the bar Jay is set. Hawkinson and Noah Fant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right. right. We've got a couple more years on this rookie deal, but yeah. Uh, yeah, we'd like to see some of that. Very happy for George Kittle. That that's really cool. And, and happy to hear your voice and hear that you're doing well, man. I'm sure that was a scary uh, scary thing last week when you kind of had an, an emergency appendectomy. Yeah, it was one of those things where we were talking before we started recording that I had my gallbladder out a few years ago, and that pain was like nothing I had ever felt before. So this, I don't know if my pain threshold was raised by the gallbladder situation. um, Or by by the last few months on Twitter. Yeah, I just, yeah, that too. Yeah, my skin and organs are thick. Right. Um, yeah, it just kind of I, it happened like the Friday before. I just started feeling sore, and um, thought it was a cramp or you know a muscle pull or something like that. And then I waited like several days and got to Tuesday and reached out to my general practitioner. Kate went in, had you know did some tests. He said, well, "Let's do a CAT scan. Your white blood cells are up." Uh, did the CAT scan last Thursday. Thursday afternoon, uh, got home figuring, ah, I don't know what it is. And, uh, immediately was told I was home for about a half hour and they had me turn back around and go to university of Iowa hospitals, uh, ER and, and, uh, the surgeons there took a lot, look at the CAT scan and were like, yeah, you know, you are, should be feeling more pain. Uh, and this thing needs to come <laughs> out. It's, uh, got some, uh, you know, s- some s- s- inflammation and it was, they were where, I mean, they were like, you know, this could have, this could attach to your intestines with it. We're going to, they were went in and warned wow. me that it could be a bigger incision depending on what they found in there. Um, 
But luckily, it was just Lapro, and they were able to go in with three smaller incisions and get that thing out. And that happened, I guess I went in for surgery about a week ago at midnight. And uh, I was out of the hospital the next day and have been home and recovering ever since. Ever since, Great people at University of Iowa. I've unfortunately, have been in there twice in the last few years. But uh, just top-notch medical care. I, I feel so fortunate to have that in Iowa City to be able to go over there to the hospital and, and you know – it's almost like going through the car wash. They just take care of you and you move on and you go on your way and, uh, feeling better now and walking more the last few days, getting back into writing now that the, uh, power and internet are back on. Uh, so yeah, I appreciate, uh, appreciate all the people on social media that have uh, reached out and wished me well and, uh, back on my feet now, but, uh, unfortunately do not have uh, fall football to cover. So we're going to have to get creative here with coverage at Hawkeye nation. Yeah. Somehow we've, uh, after all we've been through in 2020, we've, we've reached the worst week of 2020, at least here, here in Iowa as, as yeah. we've dealt with uh, the the loss of the the football season, and before we dive into that, the the land tour or land hurricane that came through, the derecho that came through on uh, on Monday and just caused a, a crazy amount of damage. I mean, wreaked havoc on on you know multiple cities and ten million acres of corn and billions of dollars worth of industry. Uh, I know over here we're still still de- dealing with it in a lot of ways. Luckily. Um, you know, personally, I didn't. I didn't have a ton of damage, just some tree damage, and then we got power back fairly quickly. Uh, but I know people who live not far from me at all who ha- still don't have power back and, and don't really expect it back for several days. I think uh, this morning I saw two hundred and fifty thousand uh, people in Iowa still don't have power, and again, a lot of people not expecting that to come back right away. And and that's over here, Rob. And I, I know that over there on the eastern side of the state, and certainly in Cedar Rapids, is uh, seems to be where it kind of hit the worst, and and where pe- people are having uh, the hardest time dealing with it and um man what a what a what a crazy storm i wasn't here i I was driving through nebraska on my way home from colorado when this came and we didn't see a cloud in the sky it wasn't until we got to about the west side of des moines in the waukee area that we started to see some damage um but it uh, it's one of those things where I'm 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 glad I wasn't here. I'm sure it would have been scary. I'm sure you know my my kids would have been scared, and my wife and and me and uh, I, and I don't want to make light of a, a terrible situation. But there is a part of me that man, I like I almost wanted to be here to see you know 100 mile an hour winds coming through, whipping through uh, Des Moines. It, w- it must have been uh, a sight to see. But uh, certainly thoughts and prayers and you know feelings out to everybody who's kind of dealing with this much worse than than I am right now. Yeah, devastation, ravaged. I mean, those are the words you're hearing. Uh, what was it? Ten million acres of farmland. Yeah, uh, that's just. It's almost. It's hard to you know to wrap your mind around it that. Is. And you know what's going on at this. It just the timing of it right now, where we're getting into the middle of August and the farmers are. You know, this is such an important time of year for them after just a tough year overall to have to deal with that. And then, as you said, Cedar Rapids is bad. I've got friends up there. I've tried to communicate with them and and see if I can help. We've had people just in people that we live on the east side of Iowa City, but downtown still without power. We've had people come out here. We have we have, uh, you know, a family friend who who put, you know, they put their uh, freezer on our back porch so they could plug it in and 
and save their their groceries and food and that we've had people come over charge their devices try to keep you know so they can have communication in their houses tough time not to have air conditioning uh the the, the grocery stores there are very few that are open here there are fewer open that are that are open in cedar rapids uh i know beth maliki uh news anchor for channel nine reached out on social media and it kind of went viral yesterday yeah. asking for help. Um, hopefully, uh, we get some federal aid here. We're, we're four days in here. It'd be nice to have that at this point. I know a lot of things are going on in this country, but it's, you know, and I know, you know, you don't want to feel sorry for yourself, but we, we need help, Andrew. And, and that's, it's, it's apparent. And I, I know people are saying, you know, I've, I've seen people tweet, you know, if this was happening on one of the coasts, this would get more attention. Not a lot of national news coverage. Uh, Governor Reynolds declared uh state of, you know, state of, I forget what the, the term is, but uh, uh, 20 counties, I believe she, yeah. she declared a state of an emergency and still no help. So hopefully that changes here in the next few days. People need help. I mean, it's not, this is not a, a light situation for those folks that are listening from out of the area listening to the podcast. It's bad in Iowa. It's really bad. And, and I lived here through the 2008. I lived here, you know, when the tornado went through Iowa city, I believe it was 2001 or no, 2006 maybe. Um, so, you know, in the flooding that we had in 2008, we've had a lot of bad situations in this state. This is right up there because of the swath that this thing covered. It just took a lot of people out, just devastation all over. Yeah, it was almost like a giant tornado put put down just west of Des Moines and then didn't lift up until it was, you know, three states over. And then you talk about the swath. If people haven't seen this space satellite picture of Iowa where you can literally see the corn laid down from yeah. space. Um I saw a report yesterday that, you know, if you're talking, you know, three point four dollars a bushel of corn, and then they think they've lost a billion bushels of corn. I mean, it's yeah. pretty easy math to do. You're losing about three point four billion dollars, and as you said, for farmers and families that didn't have that money to lose, and and at a time of year where you can't really come back from it uh, with this harvest, and so uh, we'll we'll hope for the best for for that. And this isn't something that's going to go away anytime soon. Something we'll be dealing with uh, for for a long time, certainly, and. Um, and then to add to that, and you know, it's it's not an easy transition to make from a very serious thing and a very real thing to you know a sport. But th there are there are real aspects of, of football being canceled. Uh, you know the economic impact in Johnson County and, and in Iowa City, uh, not to mention for the university and, and all of that. Uh, but but we got the the official word. I think what Sunday it it started to feel like it was really about to topple. Um, and then players and coaches and, and people were coming out uh, in, in favor of, of playing. The, the whole we want to play hashtag went viral. Um, Sunday evening, it felt like everybody was going to cancel pretty quickly. Uh, people kind of took a step back. And then the Big Ten uh, was the first to kind of take that step back forward uh, on Tuesday when Kevin Warren announced that the Big Ten will not have fall sports this year, uh, it, which obviously includes football. Uh, a hope to push it to spring and have some sort of a spring season, and we will uh, talk about that in depth here in a little bit. But uh, no football, Rob, for the Iowa Hawkeyes in, in 2020, and that is, uh, man, that uh, honestly, you know, when this when this began in March and we lost the NCAA tournament, and 
kind of shut the whole world down or the whole country down. Uh, I could not have imagined that here we are six months later and we still haven't gotten a handle on this to the point where we're not going to play college football. At least the Big Ten and the Pac-12 aren't. I don't know what the other leagues will ultimately do. Um, but it, it's it's kind of mind-blowing to have those words come out of my mouth and, and know that it's official and know that it's real and know that you know, come September, October, and November on, on Saturdays, uh, the one thing I know now is I won't be watching the Iowa Hawkeyes play. And, and man, that sucks. It, it just sucks. Yeah, it's just another log on the fire, isn't it? <laughs> it's just, yes. Um, it's it's awful for the student athletes. That's I feel so bad for yeah. these guys, you know, that have done everything they could for two months. I mean, before that, I mean, they were training on their own in the spring during the pandemic. You know, we, we talked about Iowa trying to get, you know, what the, you, you know, whatever exercise equipment they could get to these guys at their homes so they could keep, you know, stay in shape. Um, and they were zoom calls and trying to just get through the pandemic as best they could. They brought them back to campus in June. Obviously Iowa had the story of the, you know, the racial bias thrown on, on, on top of that, these guys still were working out, trying to get better, dealing with, you know, quarantines from guys getting the virus and having workouts interrupted from that, but still pushing forward. Um, and as you said, they, you know, we we kind of got that word on Sunday that it looked like the Big Ten was done, and then the players. Uh, you know, rose up and, and used the hashtag, we want to play. Many of the Iowa players did that uh, and joined in with Trevor Lawrence and, and other Justin Fields and other bigger name guys that are across the country. Um, and then the, the one thing that bothered me, I think, Andrew, is that I think the Big Ten knew over the weekend what it was going to do. And this was a decision made by the university uh, chancellors and presidents. And then they kind of left the players and coaches twisting in the wind for 48 hours. That, to me, was just – it just was a bad look. There were – you know, it was just – you usually don't see that with the Big Ten. It's usually a unified conference, all guys, you know, all people kind of moving in the same direction. And it was not that for a couple of days. And, and it just was a bad look. And I feel awful for the student athletes not knowing, kind of twisting in the wind there for 48 hours or so before finally being told that their season would not be played in the fall. And, um, now they have to – I mean, there's so many layers to this too. You know, uh, can they play in the spring? Should they play in the spring if they're older guys that are looking to get into the NFL? There are just – there are so many – you know, w- what happens to the mid-year enrollees that are coming in, you know, recruits that are going to enroll in January? Can they play in a spring season? Does that affect their el- eligibility? There are so many logistical uh, areas that need to be worked out still, but – you know, ultimately the bottom bottom line is it affects people's lives. It affects these student athletes' lives, especially the guys that have put four and five years into, you know, training to get themselves to the top of the mountain and maybe hopefully get a shot at professional football. Now that stuff is thrown, you know, that that dream is thrown into limbo right now and they're in a holding pattern. 
Yeah, and you know, it's it's all of the things that we've talked about over the last few weeks. You know, Amir Smith Marset and and setting him up himself up for the NFL. Uh, the, the other guys we've talked about, you know, possibly leaving early. And um, as you, you said, Alaric, it's, you know, Alaric Jackson yeah. passed on the NFL draft last year. He right, could be, right. he could conceivably and probably would be in an NFL camp right now. Yeah, even if he didn't get the draft, you know, the the status yeah. that that he that he had hoped for originally. Um, it's it's. It's heartbreaking for those student athletes, and I'm glad you pointed that out first and foremost because you're exactly right. That's who it affects the most, and it is too bad they were kind of hung in limbo, right? Or you know, for for a couple of days, and you wonder how these other conferences are are going to proceed. Um, I feel like a lot of the conversation yesterday, especially when the Big 12 came out with kind of their plan to play and a new schedule and all of this, it felt like a lot of people were were kind of taking that as okay, this is happening, and so uh, you know, uh, kind of assuming that you know, come late September three leagues will be playing and two leagues will not be playing. Well, let's pump the brakes on that a little bit. The Big 12 didn't say they're going to play football yesterday. The Big 12 said they plan to proceed to hopefully play football yesterday. And I, you know, I think I think anybody would be naive to just assume that that means this is actually going to happen for the Big 12 or the ACC or the SEC or anybody um, because this the, the virus is in control as we talked about several times and mm-hmm. um, obviously you know th- there's a lot of hate for the Big Ten right now a lot of hate for Kevin Warren that I've seen and and I'll be honest I didn't I, I didn't think he handled himself great in some of the the press availability he had uh, Dave Revson certainly asked him some tough questions on the Big Ten network and I'm not sure he had that he had the right answers but I'm not sure there are the right answers I do I do believe this um, and. I've decided I'm not going to live my life as a cynic, Rob, and I'm that that'll make me naive sometimes, and and I will I will feel you know I'll get I'll get burnt a few times in my life because I'm too naive on things like this. But I'd rather do I'd rather get burned a few times than uh, than live my life as a cynic. I don't believe that. There, there was. There's some sinister reason that this is happening, that they are trying to stop players from unionizing, or, or that this just came down to, to money. Um, I do believe that that most of these presidents and athletic directors and conference commissioners are doing what they believe is right for the health of, of their student athletes. And and I think that's true of the Big Twelve as much as it is the Big Ten, even though they've gone about it different ways right now. Um, and and so I, I just I. I ha- I hate the uh, this this kind of narrative that the Big Ten is is weak or or something like that. That Kevin Warren is is doing this for you know because of liability, and I'm sure those things play into it, and, and they have to play into it. These these people have more things to to worry about than just the kind of whether or not there's football on the field. Uh, but I, I truly believe that the Big Ten, uh, as a conference, made a decision that it wasn't safe for their student athletes to play football this fall. And if that's a decision they made, whether I like it or not, that that's that I'm glad that they were able to make a tough decision like that, and ultimately, what the Big Twelve does, or the SEC, or the ACC, uh, it'll be interesting. And certainly, history will look back on this differently if they play as if they don't, and if they do play and have a successful season, or if they play and have to shut down after three weeks. We don't know what's what this is all going to come out and be. It is interesting that the Big Ten was the the first to do it. But, you know, the Big Ten was the first to go to an all-conference schedule a month ago or so, and it was a few weeks before anybody else did. And in that interim time, I heard a lot of chirping about, well, you know, the Big Ten did this too early, and, uh, you know, nobody else is following along. Well, now everybody has followed along with that, and it'll be interesting to see if everybody else follows along with, with canceling football this fall. Yeah, and I know I agree with you on Kevin the Kevin Warren point. He's uh, 
he's in a tough spot, man. He, he really is. He's, he's the face of the conference. He's the, you know, the guy that's got to go out there and answer questions, but this really came above him. This, this was the university presidents, presidents and chancellors. And if you believe what you've read and heard a lot of the coaches, and we heard that Bruce Harold and, and, uh, Gary Barta, the uh, Iowa's president and athletic director were pushing hard to try to get other presidents to, allow them to continue on and perhaps play the fall season. But I, I, we, I, I guess the, 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 the part that I think would have been nice to know, Andrew, is some transparency of how the vote went. Yes. Uh, which, which presidents voted to, you know, uh, postpone the, or, or cancel the fall and, and maybe move to the spring and, and which didn't, uh, how close was it? We really don't know. Um, and, and that kind of left players in the dark. What were the reasons? Yes. What were the, because it seems like the big 12 and, the and, uh, you know, the ACE, the ACC and the SEC, along with the big 10 and the PAC, 12 who decided to cancel they all have similar medical advice what led to the big 10 deciding from and and the pac 12 from that medical device or advice i should say and, and guidelines what led them to say that it's not safe while the other conferences think that it is safe it just if there, it, it left more questions than there were answers and i think that's what some of the frustration from the players and the coaches and the athletic directors it comes from not knowing why and And I'm not saying, and you mentioned this, we don't have the answers. And I wrote this in my column the other day. It's, uh, I call it the political virus now because it's not, you can't name it after uh, the country of origin or the president or however you want to name it. This is a political virus and, and it comes down to which political uh, angle you want to take on this. But the bottom line is we don't know. Right. It's a novel virus. We don't have the answers. That's what makes these decisions so tough. So it would be nice if you if if the the powers that be, these presidents said this is this is how we analyzed this information that we had from scientists and said this was not safe, whether it's the heart issues, contact tracing, being able to test. The Big 12 says it's going to test football players three times a week. Where are those tests coming from? Are they going to be able to are they going to be able to keep that up through an entire season? Do they have enough tests to be able to do that? There are so many questions out there without answers and it just leaves for me, you know, I would love to have the answers, but I think more importantly, it would be great for the student athletes and the coaches and the people that are actually involved and have a bigger stake in this to have answers as to why these decisions were made. Yeah, I think that's the the biggest thing I, I want is yeah, tell me the the medical reason. Tell me, tell me what advice you got. Tell me what the thing is. Is is it this, uh, the, this heart inflammation that that's happening? And certainly that's a serious thing, and and it should be taken seriously. But yeah, what what did you hear as the Big Ten that the 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 Big Twelve hasn't heard yet? And then yeah, vice versa. You know, the Big Twelve is going to have to answer some of those questions as well. Um, where are these tests going to come from? The, yesterday when Bob Bowlesby did his press conference, he really wasn't able to answer what will trigger a shutdown, what will trigger right. a team having to, to stop. And, and those are answers that are going to need to be uh, come up with over the next few weeks. And so uh, it, it will be interesting. The Big Ten is going to be a punching bag here for a couple of weeks while, while these other leagues try to figure this out. Uh, and, and that's just the way it is. And 
you know certainly as a as a fan base uh, you know and and on social media it's it's going to be difficult to watch Iowa State fans prepping for a season whether or not that season ultimately happens it'll it'll be much more difficult if you know come September 26th Iowa State's playing at TCU and and Iowa fans are just sitting at home again on a Saturday afternoon um but it, it is it is an interesting spot for the Big Ten to be in right now. Uh, but I, I just don't like the finality with which it's it's being talked about because I don't think um, I think uh, this story hasn't been written yet. You know, we, we don't know if the Big Ten is overreacted yet. Yet we don't know if the Big Twelve is being careless yet because we don't know how it's all going to play out. And again, this stuff changes so often. I guess that that's the one thing. And, and maybe the leaving the players in limbo is a reason to make the call when the Big Ten made this call. It does feel like as a fan. And I put this out kind of jokingly on Sunday uh, because I've had a lot of fun on this podcast, Rob, with with talking about the season. And you know, we've made sure over the last few weeks to to take a segment of this podcast, uh, and in a couple of weeks ago, the entire podcast, and look at the season just through football as though it's going to happen, and and talk about Spencer Petrus and talk about the wide receivers, and uh, and and to. So so Sunday I was like, hey, just give us a couple more weeks of that, right? Just just let, let me pretend for a few more weeks. But on a more serious note, why not wait a few more weeks and just see what happens, see what new information comes out, see if there is testing available. And I know at this point we've we've kind of gotten the, the question though, right, Andrew? We don't know right. why they pulled the plug. Exactly, we, they didn't let us know specifically other than it's dangerous. Yes. And and that's it leaves it open to speculation, and that's and what people are doing. I think it was one of the Iowa players. Maybe it was Smith Marset asked that directly on Twitter. Why did you do it? Why? Why? What? What are the medical reasons why now, where you released a schedule, a, a revised schedule? Yeah. Last Wednesday, and then a week later, decided it wasn't less than a week later because apparently they decided it over the weekend. So just a few days later, after releasing a schedule, putting all that time into that, you decided it wasn't safe enough to play. What changed? That's we don't know exactly. And and until they can give us an answer on that, it's just going to leave open to speculation and people thinking that they didn't do everything they could to try to make this work. Because it certainly looks like right now the Big Twelve and the SEC and the ACC are doing everything they can to make this happen. Uh, the the testing protocols and things that the Big Twelve put out yesterday look good. The you know return to play if you do get a positive and you have to have an echocardiogram and an MRI of your chest and things like that. That all sounds good. Uh, whether that's Logis- logical in practice, I don't know, but it does feel like the Big 12 is trying hard to play football this fall, and it feels like the Big 10 kind of gave up. And until they can tell us why, that's how people are going to feel, and it's too bad. Yeah, and it's two days later. You figure right. that they would, you know, just from a PR standpoint, exactly. give us something. Give the players something. Say, you know, this is the here's the, here's our here, here's what we saw from medical experts that told us it wasn't safe and this is why we're not letting you play because we looked at these you know we looked at this advice and this is why we decided that you can't play safely and we can't keep you safe because that's ultimately what it comes down to um and then you can you know you can compare that to what the big how the big 12 and acc and sec how they're viewing this information and we go back to it again andrew and we've said this from the jump back in march 
the virus is in control here and there are just so many unknowns. There isn't a right and wrong answer, but just give us why you feel the information that you have is why you're proceeding this way. That's that's I think that's fair. I don't think that's an unfair request for these student athletes to know why you're taking their season away now. Yeah. And not proceeding along with perhaps being able to play. There has to be some reason, some concrete reason right now from how you're viewing the medical advice to say we can't go on anymore. And there's no we have no answer as to why that happened. And that's really frustrating and it's most frustrating for the student athletes. And as you said, you know, the, the student athletes deserve those answers. The the people in the in these athletic departments, uh, some of whom are, are going to lose their jobs likely with with no football season or certainly take a pay cut. Um, they, they deserve these answers and, and we want them as fans and we want them for the optics of the Big Ten and the, the PR and all of that. But I, I think as you said, it's most important important that guys like Amir Smith-Marset who have just had a you know, potentially a lot taken away from him uh, deserves an answer as, as to why that's the case. It also just shows, and we've talked about this before too, but this lack of a, of a strong um, centralized governmental body right. in, in college football is rearing its ugly head in a myriad ways right now, uh, and, and this is one of them. To not have an NCAA that can come in and say, okay, we are or we are not playing, and these are the steps we need to take, and if, if players want to opt out or if entire teams want to opt out, we'll make that work, but these are the testing protocols and this is how we're going to make this happen and uh, or or it can't happen and everybody's going to shut down and we're going to work towards a spring season or whatever the case may be to not have that and then to have each conference have to make their own decisions and then within that each school have to kind of come to terms with their decisions we're seeing it with Nebraska right now and I know Nebraska gets a lot of hate and, and you know rightfully so and, and I like to pile on Nebraska as much as anybody but I do think it's a fair question if you're sitting in Nebraska right now why does Rutgers uh, you know have any say in, in whether or not you can play football and the reason that's a question is because there is no governmental body there is no overarching thing obviously the conference but that just doesn't feel uh, feel like enough and so it's it's just an it's it's created more problems uh, and and just more uh, I guess less unity in in a, in a lot of this it would be nice if there was just a governmental body that can make this decision you know all the conferences could come together and, and have these votes and have the medical um, personnel give them advice and everything but to have an overarching NCAA uh, Mark Emmert who had who had power in this situation to make this call I think would make everything not not easier and maybe not better, but it would certainly make it clearer and more understandable. Yeah, Andrew, and I think we saw crystal clear that the NCAA really is not a governing body. We saw the Power Five conferences get together, whether I forget when it was, uh, over the weekend or Monday. And, you know, they had the, you know, their, their Zoom call or whatever and discussed what each was hearing and, and what, where each stood on, you know, going on or not going on with football. And it sounded like the Big Ten and the Pac-12 was like, were like, hey, 
we think we're going to shut down. The other conferences were like, we're not ready to do that. And it's just anarchy. And then after the Big Big Ten and the Pac-12 shut down, then you have the NCAA coming out yesterday and saying, oh, by the way, since this is happening, we'll give these guys an extra year of eligibility. (laughs) They're reacting to what the conferences are doing. They're not guiding the conferences at all. They're reacting in, you know, after the fact. So there is no governing body. And I just want Andrew, if at some point, and it seems like it's it's needed now, that the you know the Power Five schools kind of go off on their own and have their own governing body uh, to make decisions like this. This is obvi- obviously an extreme case in a pandemic, but maybe this is what we see as you know evidence that this. I don't think it's it's maybe it's it's definitely evidence that there needs to be a governing body, particularly for the Power Five conferences to handle situations like this. And, and hopefully, it's never to the to to the degree that it's a pandemic, but certainly overall decisions need to be made. There needs to be guidance, and it's just not there right now. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Well, looking ahead, uh, hopefully we'll have a spring season, or that's that's kind of the hope I think for everybody right now. Um, although I guess I I haven't really come to terms with, am I okay with having a shortened spring season that leads to a shortened fall season that leads to a strange twenty twenty two, or would I rather just kind of pull the plug on this year and then hope for a 12-game normal season in, in 2021 next fall. Um, I'll come to grips with that at, at some point, but um, but Jeff Brom has has put out, I think he's, I've seen other people, you know, Ryan Day has talked about it, Jim Harbaugh I think has a thing, but um, you know, Jeff Brom kind of laid this out in in very detailed way uh, about what he thinks could happen for a spring season. Uh, it would uh, so I'll just run through this real quick, and then we can kind of talk about it if it's possible, if it's feasible. Uh, do we like it? Uh, what what will we change? But it would essentially start in the middle of January with kind of a, a quick training camp build up, build up a couple of weeks of uh, of getting getting ready. And then a nice long four-week training camp uh, from the end of January into the end of February to get everybody ready for these games. Then you have an eight-game season that would start Saturday, February 27th, and go through April 17th. Uh, you have no bye weeks. You uh, had a two-week prep before the the postseason begins. But essentially, in that in those eight games, you'd likely be playing you know your your six division opponents and then a couple of crossover games. Probably try to fit in uh, some rivalry games and things in like that. Yeah, and then, Indiana, Purdue, yeah. Iowa would have to play Ohio State and Penn State because that's the way they do it. And Wisconsin gets Rutgers and Maryland. And and so <laughs> good for Wisconsin. Jeez. Uh, and and then yeah, we didn't even have a chance to to get you complain <laughs> yeah, about right. the, the new exactly schedule. exactly that Wisconsin adds Rutgers. Um, and then you know you have the uh, and the, and he's got it laid out as a, a sixteen playoff. You have the the Power Five conference champs and a wild card, essentially saying that everybody would cancel fall football and go to this this spring uh, 
this spring season, uh, but an, an eight-game season in the spring, and then he follows that up with a 10-game season next fall that would start late and start the beginning of October and go through December. We'd essentially get bowl season and things like that uh, on a normal uh, calendar by that point, and then the, the spring of 2022 would have uh, no kind of traditional spring football. There, there'd still be workouts and things like that, but you would need to give players and, and programs uh, that extra time after essentially playing you know not two full seasons but I mean not far off from two full seasons no. in, in one calendar year uh, to give players and, and programs time to recover from that before looking ahead to the, the fall of 2022 and it's wild that we're sitting here talking about two years from now but um, I, I guess what was your knee-jerk reaction when you when you read about this this morning? Yeah, it's interesting, Andrew, because these, you know, Jeff Brown certainly has a much better handle on these things than we do. Um, And obviously, there are a lot smarter people that will be making these decisions. I thought it was interesting, uh, and I'm reading from Adam Adam Rittenberg's story at ESPN. Brown also examined the number of games over a normal two-season span and compared it with his proposal. Teams not playing bowl games currently average 1.6 games per month, 24 games in 15 months. Under Brahms plan, those teams would average 1.8 games a month or 18 games over a 10 month span. Mm. So from a, um, from a volume standpoint that, you know, I, the biggest concern is, are you over exerting the players and, and putting them in danger by putting, you know, putting too much on them? And, and his plan seems to say that, no, it isn't. It's, it's, it's comparable. It's just stretched out a little bit differently. Um, I, I wrote in my column the other day, I, I was more in favor of maybe a six game schedule in the spring. Just stay in the division, play the six games. Whoever wins each division then plays for the Big Ten championship and then go from there and then delay the start of the 2021 fall season and maybe play 10 game eight to 10 games there so you're looking at 14 to 16 games as opposed to 18 games i think 18 games might be a little heavy heavy handed in that short of a time span in one calendar year but again i'm not i i, I jeff brown knows more about what's what his athletes can do and, and what you know athletes at that level can do than i do but but I, I think what's important here, and we've seen um, some senators come together today uh, in terms of giving athletes more voices. And those that haven't uh, read that story, it's it's out there now. They're they're trying to advocate for a players' association for college football players. I think if we've learned anything over the last few weeks, a few months, Andrew, the players need to have a voice in this. This can't just be made from administrators if they're going to play in the spring and in the fall. The players need to have a say in all of this. Absolutely, yeah, a hundred percent. It's it's going to be interesting to see if this is if this is possible. If other uh, plans like this come out, if uh, who plays? Yeah, right. You know, does Trevor do Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields? Does Alaric Jackson play? You know, if they do this, you know, or, or does he feel like, hey? You know, the, you know, the six to eight games aren't going to help me as much as preparing for the NFL draft testing would. So, yeah, a lot of unknowns going into the spring. What it'll look like, who will play, what are they playing for? If the three uh, other Power Five conferences that are still 
you know, forging ahead in the fall, if they do have some kind of season, yeah. what are they playing for? Is it, is it a national champion if you're not including the Big Ten and the Pac-12? And then in the spring, uh, what's the Big Ten playing for? Are you just playing for a Big Ten champion? Or, you, you know, or, or do these other three conferences not make it through the fall and then they go to the spring for some competition as well? And then can you have a national champion out of that? Just so many unknowns. Before we uh, we wrap up here, I, I do want to uh, maybe, maybe Monday we can dedicate some time to basketball and, and talking about the season. Uh, I liked you wrote uh, I guess is you know, a week or so ago. Now you wrote kind of a some starting lineups, uh, some potential yeah. starting lineups. I, I'd like to go over that with you in, in some detail and and talk about. The I also bu- wrote I also wrote my prediction for the season <laughs> I saw, last week. I, for I football. did see that. I was excited. Fortunately, to, whew, that's out excited the to come here and talk about that, especially because you. <laughs> I think one of your bold predictions was that I would be. Penn State, but then in your uh, game by game predictions, you had Penn State winning that game. Yeah, but, uh, because of the schedule change, <laughs> right, just, exactly. yeah, it's just been nuts. Um, <laughs> and, and so, anybody who's listened to this podcast with any consistency <laughs> since March knows that this has just been nuts. So uh, on Monday, I want to talk about that the, the potential for what what basketball season may look like, especially now without the Pac-12 playing basketball at least through the end of this year. And so Iowa has already lost the, the non-conference let's get game. The bubbles put together. That's Andrew. that's what. I want They've yes. got time now. Yes. There's no football. Yeah. Everybody's got time to figure this out. Uh, so I want to, on Monday, you and I, let's dive into basketball. Uh, before we end this today, just a couple of predictions. Uh, do you think any college football is played this fall? Yes. Okay. Do you want to go further in that? I mean, do you, is it is it the, the Big Twelve? The, I mean, are all three of those leagues playing? Okay, okay. I'll say no. I'll say no. Is is my prediction? So you don't think they're going to even get a game in? I don't. I, I think. Okay. Uh, I, I think. I think ultimately they will find. And again, it's hard for me to say this without knowing what the the factor was for the Big Ten, what the thing was. But I I, I have to believe that it, it's something real and something serious and something that the other leagues know about and are hoping something changes or they get some new information or they're they're able to find uh, a different way to handle things and just I, I guess I'm just pessimistic at this point that um Again, as we're six months into this pandemic and it feels like not much has changed in this country, uh, I, 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 it's hard for me to believe that in the next three or four weeks, these other leagues are going to find a way to do something that the Big Ten was unable to do. So uh, it's I don't know what that thing is. I don't know. And again, as we talked about, I don't know why the Big Ten made this decision, but I do believe that the, the other leagues will ultimately uh, come to that same decision, even if it so- takes them a few weeks to, to do so. Do you think they all do it at once, or do you think this is a trickle effect? Because, man, the SEC, the (laughs) thought of them trying – the thought of them actually shutting down for the fall to me is – they're the – for my prediction that there will be at least a game or two this this fall, it's because of the SEC and their dedication (laughs) to pushing through on this. I'm not sure about the Big 12, and it seems like the ACC goes along with with whatever the SEC decides to do, man, but... It's going to be interesting to see what what that SEC if they can if they try to slip at least a game or two in there. But ultimately, I think the best outcome, Andrew, is that these other leagues 
figure out that it's too dangerous to play, figure out whatever the Big Ten and the Pac-12 have, have figured out, and then we get some type of football in the spring with all five Power Five conferences. Do you think, since you think there, there will be some football played this fall, do you think any league finishes a season, or do you think it, I, it starts and then shuts down? Absolutely not. Yeah. And I, I think I that, cannot and, see them getting through eight to ten games, and that may be the the point. Maybe that's where it is, where uh, you know the SEC says, you know, yeah, we could probably play a game or two, but what what's the point of I guess playing a game or two if you know or if you're fairly certain that it's not going to work on the long term that that it's going to have to get shut down? Whereas you said you could shut things down now and really start to focus your attention on a spring season. How many games have the Cardinals played? Like five. Five. They played five games. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> exactly. And, you know, the Marlins also got hit. The Phillies had games, you know, taken yep. away from them. I just 120 football players mm-hmm. per team. You know, with what's their 14 teams in the SEC? Yeah, I just and football is so much different than 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 baseball in terms of social distancing and contact, um, and then just being able to test everybody as mm-hmm. frequently as the Big 12 says it's going to test everybody. I just logistically, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around them being able to get through a season this fall. But and, and if, I hope I'm wrong. I would love to yeah. be able to watch college football on Saturdays. I hope I'm dead wrong. I. Uh, Yes, I want to put that out there as well. I do. I do too. I hope that I'm. I hope all three of these leagues figure out how to play, and I hope we see a bunch of college football this fall, and I hope it's successful, and nobody is seriously hurt by this, and uh, and and ultimately the Big Ten looks like it overreacted by by canceling the season. Um, but as you said, you know, with the, the baseball thing is really interesting because those players have a lot more incentive to not screw this up, and they're still screwing it up in some ways, right? They're, they're getting paid a lot of money to do this, and and they're they're supposed to be a little more mature than you know college kids. Although we know that's not always the case, uh, college kids who aren't, the, who aren't being paid. Was it the Indians with Mike Clevenger yeah, and yes. Zach Plesac? Yeah. Right? they went out and just they went out. And Clevenger just didn't tell any, you know, it's, it's, it's incredible how, and so you have to think things like that are going to happen. And even if it's only one or two guys in each program, that affects everybody. That's the, that's the, one of the sinister things about this disease, this virus is that I can, well, I, I think it was Bill Plasky from the LA Times wrote a piece. He, he got this and, and he, yeah, he told that. this whole story about he's the guy who hasn't done anything. He's the guy who's worn a mask everywhere. He's the guy yeah. who hasn't been to a grocery store even, but he let his guard down for one minute, right? He, he had one dinner with a couple of people. He took his mask off. He did, he felt safe and then he got COVID and has dealt with it since then. So it's all, it's, all it takes is one or two people. You can do everything you can do and you're still not safe from this. And I think that's again one of the sinister things about this um and if you look at iowa at least right now as of what's today august 13th mm-hmm. the plan is still to bring students back on campus so you're going to classes and yes. walking around campus and, with people and parties too. and yeah i mean i you know how long does that last that's a really good question uh okay another prediction do you think spring football happens yes okay I hope so. And we've talked about this before, Andrew, and my reasoning behind that is completely financial. Yeah. Um, The fiscal year ends June 30th of 2021. Athletic departments are going to do whatever they can to, to... at least save some of that budget, to to bring in whatever revenue uh, they can to try to, let's face it, save jobs, save sports. 
I mean, the non-revenue sports are really in a precarious situation here. We'll always have college football and, and men's basketball and most likely women's basketball and wrestling at Iowa. But those other sports have to be really really afraid right now with what's going to happen with this budget. And then also, as we talked about earlier, you know, you have the, the Justin Fields and the Trevor Lawrence's of the world that know they're going to be Pine Sewell guys that, you know, are going to be in the NFL. But if they, if, if, if some big 10 teams can play six games in February uh, and March and, and get more, uh, get more highlights, get more film of these players for the NFL, it benefits the players too. So not only are the, are the universities and athletic departments making some money and hopefully saving some jobs and, and programs, you're getting more exposure for the athletes too. So to me, it's a win-win if you can at least put something together for the spring and a lot smarter people than us, not that that's uh, any great accomplishment, but that these people have months now to figure out maybe to be able to play in the spring. And then at the end of the day, Andrew, we've said it before, the virus is in control here. Is there going to be a vaccine? Uh, you know, what what does the spring look like in terms of being able to play athletics? Those are, those are things we just don't know at this point. All right, Rob. Um, again, Do you think there'll be spring football? I hope so. I'll, I'll be optimistic and say yes. I'll be optimistic and say How about basketball? You know what was cool, and I know we're not talking basketball yeah, yeah, this yeah. week, but the NCAA – um, I forget who it was, but some official with the NCAA almost guaranteed that there'll be an NCAA basketball tournament in the spring. So if you're looking for something positive right now, hang on to that. Latch on to that right now because who knows what's going to happen with football. But if we can at least at least get college basketball in, it's going to be a, a really good thing. Yes. If you, if you haven't noticed, Iowa's got a pretty good team. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's another <laughs> thing we'll have to talk about is, you know, we, we spent a lot of time in March talking about everything that was lost with the Iowa, uh, just Iowa athletics in general, the, you know, a national championship for wrestling and Spencer Lee and, uh, you know, what could have been in the Big Ten tournament, the NCAA tournament, uh, the women's tournament, all of this. Um, and, and, you know, <laughs> n- now we'll have to spend some time on, uh, oh man, what, what this year could have been with a full football season and, and everything that's expected from the winter sports. It's really come full circle, hasn't it, Andrew? It I don't has. know if full circle is the right word, but the the winter athletes had their championships canceled, so they got it. You know, the virus got them. The spring sports, baseball, track, all the spring sports got wiped out that never even got started, and now the fall sports are getting affected. So it's just it's affected everybody in the Big Ten, you know, in terms of, of student-athletes. Nobody has been spared, and it's just been crappy. It's been a crappy virus yes. and a crappy year. Yes, it has. All right, HawkeyeNation.com. Uh, I know you got your uh, – your. I was listening to your mailbag podcast that you did yesterday and, and really enjoyed some of that, especially the, the questions that just weren't relevant anymore. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, what, what else is going on on the site? Yeah, Anna Kaiser's got a story about uh, some of the athletes. It's not only affecting college athletes, but we've got uh, several uh, verbal commitments in Iowa's 2021 class from Illinois, Kansas, Minnesota high school football seasons that have been canceled. She got in touch with a few of those guys who um, we've seen some movement from Colorado and some other states of 
um, high school athletes coming into Iowa to play. Um, so Anna reached out to some of the Iowa, um, the Iowa verbal commitments to kind of see how they're handling their fall sports being canceled. Uh, Rick Brown had a column yesterday. I had a column a few days ago just addressing what's going on with the Big Ten. Um, I'm, well, I'm, I'm working on something just on logistics of this uh, Andrew, about, you know, as, as I touched on a little bit earlier in terms of, um, you know, mid-year enrollees and what do you do with scholarships now? And can guys play in the spring and not lose eligibility if they just enroll in January? And if you're bringing seniors back next year, how does that affect incoming recruits who thought like, just for instance, you know, if you're a wide receiver recruit in the 2021 class, you thought Amir Smith-Marset and Brandon Smith were graduating. Well, what if they come back now in the fall of 2021? How does that affect mm. what you were thinking about? Just some logistical things like that and kind of laying that out a little bit. Skylar Bell, a wide receiver from Connecticut. We have a story on him that I posted last night. Iowa is among his five finalists. He will be announcing on Sunday his college choice. I think Iowa sits really well with this young man he's down to see if i can remember this iowa rutgers west virginia wisconsin and i knew i forget the fifth school but he's down to five schools so we'll have that story this weekend when he announces i believe he's announcing 11 a.m central time on sunday so iowa's up to 17 recruits in this 2021 class could be number 18 coming on sunday all right rob we'll get some rest uh, take care of yourself take care of your neighbors over there in uh, in eastern iowa we'll do the same over here and uh, you and i'll chat again on monday Sounds great, Andrew. Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you. Thank you for listening, and go Hawks.